Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. I'll be hosting this episode. I'm a software developer and tech leader in Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Web3 and virtual reality are my current time suck, and I am passionate about technology and entrepreneurship. As the founder and CTO of New Idea Machine, giving back to the community is important to me. I am always available to offer advice on technology and business. Virtual reality is one of my favorite topics. Join me as I geek out with my friend, Brent Zuber. Come and join the fun. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast for Rainforest Alberta. Today, my special guest is Brent Zuber. Brent, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Al. I'm really uh, pleased with your esteemed previous guests to be part of the the collective. (laughs) Well, you know, um, just now, just like right now, I was thinking to myself, I know Brent really well. We we talk all the time and and we'll get into that because I think that's a natural topic for the discussion. But I actually don't know what you do for a living. <laughs> so why don't we why don't we go back in time a little bit and let's talk about Brent as uh you know growing up and kind of how it led to your career path. Cause I think that's something that people genuinely find really interesting. And then maybe talk about um, either where you're at or what you're looking for or how that kind of plays out in, in today. So I'll, I'll pass the mic to you and let you uh, go for it. For sure. Um, yeah, the, the different pitch links, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, I'll, I'll expand that a little bit. Born and raised uh, on the prairies, which I think really gives a foundational piece to, to where I come from. Um, very little smoke and mirrors. Uh, it's, you know, Tell it like you want to tell it and, and say what you mean, mean what you say, I think is so important. So from an early age, I would say I was always interested in mechanical things. I was interested in how systems worked. And that sort of led to all my, my diverse career path as I went through uh, everything I learned uh, education-wise and then working-wise. And it was sort of process-oriented. It was very much... Um, how could we do this? How could we do it better? But also, why do we do it the way we do it? And just that reimagining. I try not to get very stuck in, a, in, a, in only one way, only one answer. There's always multiple answers. And at different times, one answer might be the better answer than another. So I think that's important. Born and raised in the prairies and uh, always took vacations out towards Alberta and BC. So Calgary was sort of a natural destination place for me. That's where I am now. Nice. That's awesome. And um, so maybe you can confirm sort of what's your career trajectory like right at the moment? Yeah, for sure. So education-wise, I did two degrees, Bachelor of Science, Computer Science, and a Bachelor of Administration. And the reason why I did both is I was very fortunate, went through the co-op work program and had a work pro, uh, work study program with IBM first during the 88 Olympics here in Calgary. Cool. And then a couple was Shell. And I sat down with uh, the vice president of HR at Shell. And he said, you know, I've got really good bits and bytes people. And I've got really good, you know, financial accounting administration people, you know, 
uh, net present value and all of that kind of stuff. But it's very hard to find people who can bridge both. And I love doing that. And so I, I've worked with a number of organizations, um, a subsidiary of IBM called Information Systems Management. Uh, I worked with two of Canada's big banks, Royal Bank and TD. Uh, another large organization, Ceridian, a, subs- a subsidiary of, of Ceridian called LifeWorks. It was the employee and assistance program. Um, a lot of my time was spent some pre-sales, but mostly sales support or implementation. Um, so just how things work and then account management as well. So all in that kind of uh, realm, I guess, with clients, client focused all of the time. Nice. That's very, very yeah. cool. And are you are you currently working somewhere? Or are you on the market? Is, is this is, should this be a pitch for people to hire Brent? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't need to be a pitch to hire Brent. I'm always looking for new uh, activities. My uh, most of my time, I've been very fortunate recently for the last few years has been volunteering. So I volunteer a little bit with Rainforest, but also with uh, the Haskins School of Business, the Hunter Center, as a, a mentor with uh, the Entrepreneurial School, um, and then with Technology Alberta. Um, I must sit on their board as well. And then uh, for about seven years, just uh, concluding last fall, I sat with, on a board of a social service agency here in Calgary. So kind of gives an idea of the volunteering. And then what I do to keep the lights on, um, I've actually got my insurance license. Oh. So personal insurance and critical illness insurance. And I've got, I'm registered in four provinces or, or have my license uh, in four provinces. So Very that's nice. what I do in the background. Very nice. So I guess the... Yeah. the uh... The computer science degree is, and and the and maybe perhaps uh, being a bit of a nerd is uh, what led you and I to kind of really connecting because we had connected through Rainforest before, but then we we really connected through I guess I guess originally uh, Lee um, from uh, uh, well he's he was with State School of Advanced Digital Technology now he's current, currently working with Tech Systems Lee Ackerman um, he introduced this concept of VR and having VR business meetings. Yes. And you have a, an Oculus 2 headset, I believe. So you and I ended up connecting quite a bit in Horizon Workrooms and other various uh, metaverse type kind of things. And we've had so many interesting discussions. I think, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into it? It's always fascinated me how... As I sort of said, with regards to process and, and connection, and, and I've worked with teams that are coast to coast or beyond that, even internationally, and, and for decades, right? And whether it was you know conference calls or long distance calls, emails, right? This is emails went worldwide, and I think this has just been an enhancement over the last few years. Especially, we've seen that escalation through video conferencing, and I know everyone is is really tired of the Zoom fatigue. But this was a unique change, I think, in the ability to, to try the immersive environment. And it, it takes you one step further, I guess. You mentioned like being at, at, at the nerd side of it, Star Trek, Star Wars. <laughs> Don't want to you know, say that I fall in one camp more than another, but like the holodeck, right? And the ability to go in there, have that uh, virtual world that an individual can uh, inter- um, to really connect with. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so that's what I love about you. We've got some senior people with very diverse backgrounds that are really looking at the VR world and saying, is it a panacea? No, it's not going to solve everything. However, it is really unique. The connections you can make, the um, ability to, to communicate again worldwide 
get a bunch of people that could be sitting anywhere on the surface of the earth and really having a deep, you've got the eye contact, you've got the social nuances, you've got personal space. And it's way better than the two-dimensional Zoom side of it, which I think, which is really cool. Uh, You're making me laugh about the personal space. So for the audience, uh, Brent and I were in a coffee chat meeting today with a few other people. And um, Ryan Ryan Hemetko is sort of starting to tell us something. And Brent kind of reaches over with his virtual hand and sort of waves it in Brent's face. And it just stops him dead. And he's kind of like, taken aback and he doesn't quite know what to do about it. And then we sort of it sort of led to a little conversation about personal space, which we've we've actually talked quite a bit about. It's the the in immersiveness of this is so real that when when a virtual avatar comes up and stands right in front of your face or 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 waves their arm in front of you or something like that, it, it's it's just so um it's just so unnerving because your brain doesn't know the difference. Your brain doesn't know that you're in virtual reality. So somebody coming up and sticking their hand in your face is, is just throws you right off. That was hilarious. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's so interesting. And, and I'll sort of take it on that social environment kind of uh, side. Um, we've tried different virtual environments and some mm-hmm. like workrooms, you get assigned seats and everyone sort of has, there's not the, um, vertigo of rapid movement and stuff like that, but you still have your virtual uh, avatar. And we held some sessions here a couple months ago and invited, again, a very diverse group. And one of the individuals I had, um, and, and just for personal reasons, I won't disclose where, but works with a social service agency large in Calgary. And so I had a chance to meet with her a couple weeks ago. And we just talked about what did she think? What was it like? And we, and we kind of hypothesize about a few different things. And she said, you know, how important it could be for those that are maybe socially, they've come from a difficult environment Mm -hmm. and they can create an avatar. So they're taking ownership of that creation of an avatar, but they could go with a uh, counselor and do virtual reviews of um, uh, housing environments and what's safe and what's not safe. And wouldn't that be cool? Rather than driving around the city to different environments and, oh, this walk up is right on the streets and the front door and stuff like that. And it's not safe or this one has doesn't have enough exposure because there's too many trees and and stuff like that. You can recreate that in a virtual world, which is much safer. And I don't think most people see that as as being possible. They don't recognize that that as part of of what could happen in the VR world. Like we we think of like the AR, the augmented reality, right? So mm-hmm. you think of oil and gas environments and you can go and you can walk through a huge physical space and say, oh, these are where the knobs are and this is where the panels are and these are all of the, the switches. And that's true. And, and I think that's going to drive a lot of the dollar signs, the business beside it. But there's a whole lot of other pieces that are in there too. Yeah, I agree. What, one of the meetings that we had not sure if I got his name right, but is it Barry Pendergrass? The, the, yes. So Barry is a senior and he's a, he's really into VR and he's been spending time at, um, like retirement community or not retirement communities, actually, uh, hospice type communities and stuff where he's actually taking the, the older folks and giving them the VR experience. And I mean, there was one story he told while we were meeting at, we were having one of these coffee chats that, I mean, I almost, I mean, I did, I did tear up inside my VR headset, but he was saying there was this lady who was originally from Paris 
and she she was in I think she was in Calgary or something like that, and she was on her um on her last you know it, her last trip around the around the the sun or whatever, and um he she had said that uh her her real her real wish was to be able to see Paris again. And so he brought in a VR headset and um and and let her actually visit Paris in in virtual reality. And yeah, I'm tearing up again, but she was she was she was just so moved. Like like how, what an incredible experience. Like what a what a beautiful thing to be able to do for somebody. And then you look at um through the pandemic, I think everyone recognized when you when we were told we couldn't do something, you can't travel, don't go international, all those kinds of things are like, oh, but I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, VR is never going to be a replacement for sitting on a beach around the equator on a somewhere. However, that example you gave right now, right? Maybe it's individuals that aren't mobile. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's individuals that don't have the financial resources today to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's just individuals that have 30 minutes after a really hard day at work and, and want to escape somewhere. Isn't that wonderful that you can, or you just meditation. Yeah. I want to meditate on a beach in, um, you know, the Bahamas and you could put yourself in that environment. So it just adds to the experience. I think it, it really is that plus sign yeah. behind it. And you give such a poignant example of that, right? Is, is what, what could you do? Um, just that extra enhancement. And I think that also uh, wraps into what we did in April with the sessions with it's a really long name, but neurodiversity um, for those, or sorry, accessibility and inclusion for those with neurodiversity challenges in museums and exhibits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we were able to introduce it to some people in Calgary, Southern Alberta, and, and I think there was a few from outside the province as well that run museums. And this isn't about replacing the hands-on touch of a museum, but it's just saying before you get there. What are the exhibits you might want to see? So you think of like school children, like teachers for the weeks leading up to it. Anticipation, like building that anticipation is like, oh, like if we're going to go to Drumheller, I want to see the T-Rex and I want to see the Velociraptor. And I want to... These are the different exhibits you can see and you can actually plan out before you even get on that yellow school bus what you're going to do. Yeah. And then we, we brought one of the presenters, you know, uh, suffers from, from an issue on the neuro scale. And she said, a lot of those places are very challenging. Either they're too bright, they're too loud or whatever. Having the chance to visit them virtually in advance gives them that ability to, to desensitize a bit to that. So they know, they understand that environment ahead of time. Again, a wonderful on-ramp and a wonderful plus uh, to that environment. Right. And, and think about uh, teachers. Um, when you're talking to uh, children about geography or, or, or social, uh, you know, monuments in the world or anything like that being able to take the class to that location without having to book a field trip and plane tickets and hotels and being able to take them around and this is the louvre or this is the sphinx or whatever and so that the children can actually grasp how large something is or how spectacular something really isn't and then maybe it leads to becoming part of their bucket list and someday uh, maybe they go with their family or maybe they grow up and they take their own family there or something. I mean, just think about that kind of experience or, or going forward or backward in time and, <laughs> you know, being able to go and experience the wild, wild west or, or something like that. Or even think about with all the reconciliation and stuff and the indigenous stuff, being able to go in and feel and be part of 
that traditional um the 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 culture and the, and the the stories and all that stuff i mean how cool would it be to to sit on a on a on a log and listen to a tribal elder tell a story uh oh that would be just amazing yeah well, and you could drop into multiple of those across Canada, right? Because you maybe can't get off the BC coast. Uh, maybe you can't get out to the East Coast. And yeah, um, I believe there's multiple initiatives. Uh, Harley out of Edmonton, who was part of my Rainforest Circles group, um, he's trying to, he's working with a few, you know, trying to capture some of that language, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing if you could get some of those components and and just like your podcast you could drop into some of those and actually experience that still better in, in real life i'm not discounting of that course. And, and i keep bringing i keep bringing that up just because it's like oh you're trying to replace it no i'm just trying to to say here's an enhancement here's something you could do in, in addition to it so yeah absolutely um there's a there's a concept out there uh, called digital twin mm-hmm. and i think that plays into this conversation we're having right now is if you have a digital twin of a museum or or some other place in the world or some other type of a building and you're able to walk through that in VR then when you actually arrive there you know your way around and you know what where you're going if you, like especially with museums i mean imagine knowing exactly where the rocks and gems part is and being able to go that that's the thing you want to see the most you make sure that you go there first or you or you arrange your trip to be able to go there absolutely and let's extend that out into some of the very, very stable environments like construction. And you look mm. at architecture and construction and the ability to, to do a, not just a two-dimensional layout architecture diagrams, right? You know, the, how, it, how it, you want it to be, but literally dropping in and going, does this building work for me as an office, as a, as a workspace, as a campus, as a whatever? And, you know, this is how we're going to arrange it. And, you know, this is the distances to literally walk through those in advance. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to revolutionize all of that. Take that a step further and go for emergency response, right? So you, you get like the city of Calgary and, and if it's city or sorry, fire or police or ambulance, and they are always like trying to pull up, like what's, what's the as built for this building? Yes. Build that up as a digital twin or they do their, their reviews first in the digital twin. And then when they get on site, they're going, okay, this wall's not supposed to be here, or this door is new or something like that. It just, how much better that would be uh, to have that virtual environment or, you know, the person on 911 walking through the building going, okay, don't forget, you're going to take two lefts and then a right kind of thing. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there's a something that uh, there's a fellow in the UK named David Syme who posts quite a bit about VR and AR and stuff like that on LinkedIn. And one of the ones he posted was he went to a a trade school and they were using VR to teach welding. And it was really, really cool because what he did was he went in uh, at the, uh, before they went into VR, he used a real welder welding torch and tried to weld two pieces of metal. And then the instructor took him into VR and taught him in VR how to weld. And then at, after it was all over, he went and did real welding with a real torch and real metal. And his, his welding was very, very, very good. And in the, in the beginning, yeah. it was not very, very, very good. <laughs> so just for training purposes, I mean, that's, that's, it's ab- absolutely genius. Well, there's a gentleman on LinkedIn that I follow, Roy, and uh, Georgian College, I believe, is, is the college in nursing, right? So okay. it doesn't replace, you know, the, 
the OR, but wow, every student could walk in 24 hours a day whenever they've got time. And, and the OR is, is set up precisely at the start every time. And you're going in and you're going, okay, this is what I want to do. I'm setting up for a heart uh, transplant or something like that. And you start placing everything where it's supposed to be placed. And you, it, muscle memory, right? Yeah. It takes you through that. Yeah. Uh, it, now, it doesn't replace actually suturing with, with physical um, needles and thread, but it's, it creates that muscle memory, just like you're talking about. Just so many different applications for that, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, your your mind doesn't understand the difference, right? Like, um, that's why people some people get sick and vertigo and stuff like that when they're using VR. Like, especially if you're you're moving around a lot, and some people have a lot of trouble with it because their brain is going ah, like this. This isn't real. This isn't real. I know. In, in most cases, when I'm in VR, and if I go somewhere where you're looking over the edge of a cliff or something like that, like my, my heart jumps. Like it actually, you, you actually go, Oh my, Oh my, I'm like right near the edge. This is so scary. And yet you're sitting, you're sitting in a chair in your office or whatever. It's just, it's mind boggling what it does to your, to your mind. It's, it's really interesting. It gives all the same physiological responses, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's cool. So. I mean, we talked a little bit this this morning about Apple's new foray into this technology. I think, though, you know, with some of the examples that we've given, um, this technology is not going away. Like, this is not a fad that's that's just about you know done. This is something that's bleeding edge. Uh, there's there's so many exciting things that are happening in this area right now, and it's just a matter of adoption. And I think that. That new Apple headset, although very expensive, is going to be just like the very first iPhone or the very first um, iTunes player, right? Like people are going to say, well, who wants that? Like who's going to pay that kind of money for it? But I think it was you that was saying this morning, um, you know, as the technology prices, prices are going to come down and pretty soon we're going to look back. Oh, it was Lee that was saying, we seen we're going to look back at these giant clunky headsets and laugh our heads off like we did when they had the old Motorola phones with the big antenna and the big giant bop brick. And we're all going to be laughing our heads off at how old and antiquated the technology was. I think there's two things that parallel it, right? Is, is we've reached another milestone. We've reached another gate along the way. But it's not just the physical technology that's there. It's the human adaptation to it we use it, what we use it for. And it's our side that changes at the same time. So yeah, the technology is getting faster, better, smaller, all of those Moore's Law kind of concepts. But it's how do we use it? What's the use case and all that kind of stuff that it's us, you know, and, and our ability to... So it's like, like you said, the first of the devices tend to be maybe not as many of them or they're very specific use cases and stuff like that. And then once those get proven and the return on investment gets shown, then it goes to that next waterfall mm-hmm. and then to that next waterfall. And so, like you said, there's so many parallel things going on right now, each of them advancing. Like you look at the military side, right? Or with the Alberta technology, you know, lots of presentations for lots of great uh, Alberta companies. Pegasus, uh, uh, just outside of Edmonton, right? Mm-hmm. Drones. So we got drones everywhere. So we talk, think about, you know, drones bringing our, our delivery package to our, our residential house. But they're using it. I mean, they've got some um, patented technology for using it in um, very diverse environments. Um, so anti-icing uh, capability on the wings, uh, autonomous flying when it's in the air. Well, for- forest fires, 
right? So they're now using it with um, forest fires or search and rescue. Mm. And so you think of that. And uh, when I was growing up, I got my uh, private pilot's license. And one of the things that a lot of private pilots were able to do when they got their commercial license is they used to fly the utility line. So fly the, the high transmission lines, fly the, the oil pipelines to make sure that there's no breaks or that everything was still on good thing. Drones can do that. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, they can do those things. Yeah. So it's just that, that potential, um, monitoring, right? We live in a great big environment, the world. And mm-hmm. think of the, we always used to like NORAD and then North, North Atlantic Treaty Organization trying to do protect the, the largest border in the world. And maybe we can't afford lots of F 18s, F 35s, all of CF 18s, CF 35s and stuff like that. But you can have a thousand drones, and I think that's being shown in Europe right now with um, what what's unfortunately happening with that conflict with the war that's happening there is unmanned aerial um, devices can can be eyes and and actually have force um, well beyond what we used to be able to do. Like one person with with a shoulder device can take out a tank now, which you know it's that leapfrog of what's possible and, and that, which is amazing. Yeah. I don't want to depress everybody with all the negative sides of this technology. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, no uh, but it's just the reach. But you're right. You're absolutely right. And what, what leads, what leads the most development is military and pornography. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, let's face it, that's just the way the world is. Right. And, um, but so let's, let's venture out some thoughts on, on sort of, sort of like the next phase. Do you have do you have any thoughts on where you think we're going to go next, or what you think is going to be come really popular next? Well, I think I, I love watching it from a very macro point of view. So, where is human evolution right now? Where is the world right now? And so you see what's going on, and we've got a mobility side of it, right? So, places where we have been living. Maybe it's becoming uninhabitable. So how how are we going to get that mobility of of people from around the world? It used to be like the Vikings, and everyone got off on the sailing ships, and then they discovered undiscovered countries or or land. And now that there's very little undiscovered, it's now okay. Now it becomes a political process of where people move and all how people move, but it's also how they connect, right? So right um, for the last couple of years, top of mind, probably one of the three top stories is where do you work? Where do you live? And whether it's the work from anywhere camp, which is one side of the spectrum, or it's the I live and, and work in a very tight urban environment is the very other end of the of the, the pendulum or the spectrum. It's going the genie's out of the bag, right? Yeah. So I think that is the thing is like who do you who do you work with? What do you work on? There was a there was a case study of of a small village, you know, they dropped in, you know, teachers and technology. They'd never seen laptops before but all of a sudden women in a you know undeveloped country were some of the best coders that this team had ever seen before so anything's possible from anywhere uh doing anything that has never been the case in the world before so what does that mean right um used to be offshoring now recently it's nearshoring or friendshoring where is that going to sit i think you're going to get Things are going to get closer to us, right? So the ability with like, say, 3D printers, you need a door, you need a plug, you need a, a, a dongle, whatever that is, that might be produced within, you know, 
in your house, yeah. <laughs> close to you. Yeah. Um, phenomenal, right? Now you, now you get mass customization, right? That sort of comes along with that. So not only do you get people maybe moving less, and there's been some studies with regards to uh, so the big Boston consulting groups and stuff like that, that people don't have to move daily, don't have to commute daily as much, but the goods and services that we have. So whether you get like vertical farming or small integrated farming, you could have strawberries year round in Canada, which you know wasn't possible before. Mm-hmm. Um, you get small nuclear uh, modular reactors, right? So now you can produce energy, hopefully with very little um, waste anywhere, mm-hmm. right? And so remote communities, right? Whether it be solar, wind, or you know you don't have to truck in diesel possibly anymore, you, they can actually be self sufficient with their with their energy. It's going to be. There's all of the assumptions that we've built up for hundreds of years, all of those systems that it's possible to be different now. Mm-hmm. So what's the best solution for each different environment is it just raises so many possibilities. And, and it reminds me, I mentioned working for ISM. I worked with the um, in, uh, printing division and it was so neat, right? It's like all of a sudden people were getting all of their invoices, all of their statements, monthly statements from all their utilities every month. And you just boom, there it is. And then the color laser printer came out on on like for mainframe, and all of a sudden, boom! You could put charts on there, you could put graphs on there. It became a communications device, not a not like a marketing device. What's been in your last twelve months of usage? And so it completely changed the paradigm, yeah. right? Um, which was really cool. And and so now your communications device it just was so phenomenal, so rich. Yes. And I think that's going to be the thing now too, right? Is is we sometimes get scared. Um, call centers were like, oh my goodness, we're automating all of this stuff. And now call centers are kind of disappearing because um, AI responses or, or, or programmed responses, bots as they're called, are able to do those things. And to me, that's kind of a boring job. Yeah. I don't disparage that. But if you're answering the same question for, for people, different people all day long, that's not really a rich human environment. Yeah. Yeah. So let's continue to automate those things that are the repetitive things and stuff like that. So it's just long, long answer to your question, but there's so many mega trends that continue to happen. You look at factories. Um, and I think the best example is like the, some of the battery factories product is moving through there at the speed of a bullet. Yes. You're not going to get a human person adding to that process, right? You look at the the automotive factories of today, and like they're they're turning like the whole car around to add components and stuff like that. Um, they're really integrated and, and all of that. So again, it's changing the nature of of how we produce stuff. Um, so yeah, there's there's some. I think it's an interesting time to be alive. Oh yeah. What is it? How do we add value? What is it to be creative? What is it to all of that stuff? Um, I think for the first time, and, and just to add one more twist into it, it used to be automation of the, I'll call it the blue collar workers. Mm-hmm. And now with AI, you see a lot of the, the headlines saying now it's potentially white collar. So legal research, um, accounting, you know, matching POs with invoices with, with, with payable or uh, with payments. Those jobs have, are going to become much more automated. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's, it's just going to mean change. Yeah. And I think it's going to generate a whole lot more things that we could do, which is really, really cool. Yeah, that's a very, very valid point. And so instead of being upset that uh, 
you know, AI or, or a robot or whatever is taking your job away, you should maybe ask why, why is your job so uh, easy to replace? Like what, what could you do as a human being to do something that's more creative or, or more complicated or more additive, right? And so when all these AI and these robots and all that exist, sure, you, you need to have a propeller on your head to create the robot and to create the AI, but to operate them, you, you don't need to have, you know, a high end degrees and stuff like that. So instead of being the person that takes the thing from this conveyor belt and moves it over to that conveyor belt, let a robot do that. But then maybe you could take a couple classes and maybe learn how to maintain that robot and keep it functioning when it gets stuck. And then now you have a job that's a little bit more interesting and a little bit more exciting and has a little bit more purpose than doing some menial labor task. And so people, I think, you know, yes, are there going to be jobs that are obsolete or, or, or kind of knocked out? And, and, and that's sad. Don't get me wrong. That's sad. But there, there should be a, a large chunk of those people that are actually going to upskill. And I think that's the thing that companies should focus on. Instead of letting people go because they're not needed anymore, how could you upskill those people? How could you give them some training? Like, for example, you know, I, everybody knows I've been heavily involved in sort of like the, the uh, career pivot to, to software development sort of tracks in Calgary here. So. How could you take those people who had a menial labor task that, that wasn't really uh, uh, challenging them and could be replaced by AI or a robot and now upskill them so that they could become a software developer or, or a UI UX designer or a product manager or something? That's, that's money well spent. And so you've got this great person with a great attitude and they, they have a great culture fit. And now you're going to say, you know what, we're not going to let you go. We're just going to change your job from yeah. what you were doing before that can now be replaced by AI or a robot. And now we're going to give you this new job that's going to be way cooler because now you can work, work on the robots or you can do this other thing. So, I'm, I mean, I know I'm a glass half full kind of person and I know I try and keep a very positive outlook on life. Um, but I, I really do believe that as human beings, we should be challenging ourselves every day. We should be lifelong learners. We should be doing something that matters and not just going in, pushing the red button, taking a lunch break, pushing the red button, and then going home again. That doesn't add value. And I think that's um, going to be a big society uh, challenge is we get into the valley of comfort, Mm -hmm. right? You go in and and you're able to do the same thing over. And don't get me wrong, there's efficiency through repeatability, right? And so the more repeatable Mm -hmm. it is, the more efficient you are. Um, However, those things, because they're repeatable, are likely being, and you look at, um, let's take agriculture. It's a sector we didn't talk about, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I was back in university and, and there's, a, there's a concept in the military called defense in depth. And so rather than getting one person, the farmer sitting in a multi hundred thousand dollar vehicle that's got air conditioning and, and creature comforts, why don't you break that power plant down into five power plants with smaller seeders, uh, smaller discers, smaller so that you're you know, planting at night when there's less erosion and, and less chance of uh, wind uh, blowing this, that away. You know, you're, if one machine goes down, that's 20% of your, your power plants around the field. But now you can say, okay, I want to do you know, all of the, the sloughs, right? You know, some places are wet in the field. I can go around those and come back to those later, right? I can mm-hmm. be extremely efficient, extremely micro 
uh, efficient in that field. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It, wouldn't that be a huge change for that environment, right? Absolutely. Um, planning Absolutely. the right thing in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And there's a lot of things happening with like irrigation now. Like you're seeing advertisements now for this thing that you mount on your fence and it just has one stream of water and it literally draws your entire lawn and goes around the, the, the curbs and all that stuff. And, and it literally only waters your lawn. So you're not just randomly spraying stuff into the wind and, and soaking the sidewalk and sending all the water down the drain. You're just literally giving your lawn exactly as much water as it needs. And so the same thing with, with, you know, farms and stuff like that. Like I've, I saw, um, they had a robot technology where it would, it would monitor each plant location and whether it needed to be water. And then it would just squirt a bunch of water right at that one plant. And so you're not spreading water all over the place. Like it's just amazing. Well, there's a dual one if you're doing small plot environments, right? And I saw an AI go, go over a plot and it knows where the seeds are. So mm-hmm. it knows where the good plants are. Mm-hmm. So it can gently water the ones that need water and it can use a water knife to cut those that are right. not. So it's not, it's, so it'd be really cool. Now you can't do that industrial or like large field scale. But definitely when you, and when you talk about like small plot yeah. uh, locations, you're just using water. Yeah. Right. And isn't that cool? That, that kind of advantage. And then there was another one with regards to pests. What is a pest bug? What time do you go after that bug? Is it when there's a hundred bugs per square acre, you know, or 5,000 bugs per square acre? And then what do you use to control that? So now you see lots of like in, in our residential environments using ladybugs to control aphids or other small things. Can you do the same thing in, in agriculture where you've got that micro control again? So you're, you're doing the right thing at the right time um, to help. Yeah, that's awesome. This, we, could, we could talk about this forever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love reading a lot and, and I love just seeing the changes that are going on. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. Um, the ingenuity that we all have. I think where we get in trouble and back to sort of a, a theme that I had before is where we get stuck on. This is the way it has gone. Mm-hmm. And this is the way we have to continue. And, and we kind of touched on that when we touched on energy. Yeah. And it's like um, humans have always needed energy or have always used all the energy they can get and will continue to use all the energy. And whether it's stationary or whether it's mobile, um, what's the best at the time? And we sometimes get hung up on, well, this is what we have. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it's not our best solution. 100%. Um, uh, as we wrap this episode up and thank you again for being here, it has been a lot of fun. Um, what, what would you say to somebody who's never tried a VR meeting or has no idea why they would try a VR meeting? Um, what would you say to them? I think it's like any new experience. Sometimes, you know, expectations get too high and you're never going to meet them. Right. Um, so it it isn't a panacea. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different variety to it too. And you mentioned about vertigo, right? And I've heard that as being one of the negative things is people get into a player mm-hmm. game and all of a sudden they don't feel well. And, and that's not all it is. And so we've given some examples of that. Give it a try. Mm-hmm. Continue to give it a try, right? Come back six months, come back, you know, a year later and, mm-hmm. and try a new element to it. As you said, it's going to be part of our future and it's going to be used in different ways for different things. Yes. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's really going to help. It's really going to give us, um, a, we're going to connect. We're going to connect better. Uh, we're going to, it could be perfect for the universal translator, right? The system could actually be a universal translator as you have an international meeting in a VR conference. 
wouldn't that be cool? Um, so you get to keep your language, right? You get to, to you know, have that and you just talk to someone and you don't even know that they, they're talking a different language. So there's so many potentials. Um, it's going to be that the future is, is going to be challenging, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I think, I think the one point that you made that that's really, really solid that I really think is valuable is that come back. If you, if you tried VR 10 years ago, you have to try it today. It's amazing. Yeah. And you know what? A year from now or two years from now, it's going to be even more amazing. So if you tried VR, you know, last year and you got vertigo and you're never going to try it again. No, 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 no. Try again. Just don't do Beat Saber or roller coaster or something. Actually, just do a meeting in a Horizon workrooms and see what it's like to actually just sit in a chair and just turn your head to look at people as you're having a conversation and see how unbelievably amazing it is with the spatial audio and and the fact that you just turn your head and you're looking at somebody. Um, yeah. I, I agree 100%. Try it again. If you tried it before, you didn't like it. Wait a little bit and then try it again because this is constantly changing. The resolutions are, of, of the glasses are getting better. Um, the, the, the spatial audio is getting unreal. Uh, yeah, this is... And, and you talked about meditation. Uh, if, you, if you get vertigo, imagine just sitting there on a beach and just not moving around, just like just sitting there nicely and hearing the birds and the waves and stuff like that. Um, it's a very tranquil experience. So, so yeah, I love that point. Thanks for making it. No, you're welcome. No, it is, uh, it is so neat. Uh, it is, uh, it's virtual reality and it, it can be whatever, <laughs> uh, someone enables it to be nice. Thank you, Brent. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Al. I really appreciate it. I, I, uh, really enjoy um, talking about all of these things and, and you are an awesome person to talk about it with. So I really appreciate the, uh, the interview. Uh, thank you so much. Everybody else, tune in next week. Tuesdays at 8 a.m. is when we launch our next episode of the podcast. So be sure to tune in each week and listen to all the amazing rainforesters talking to the amazing rainforesters in Alberta. And if you want to be a host, a guest, or even a sponsor of this podcast, please reach out. Uh, LIBI.ca is where everything sits together. So thanks, everyone. Cheers. If you haven't already, visit RainforestAB.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. Going beyond creating custom software solutions, NIM is dedicated to making a positive impact on society, providing opportunities for new software developers to gain real-world experience and contribute to meaningful projects. You get quality, affordable solutions at the same time you're supporting the growth and development of the next generation of skilled talent. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.